title of the message is The Lord is at Hand. The Lord is at Hand. Let's pray one more time before we start. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your house. Thank you for uh, giving us the desire to be here, giving us the ability to be here. We thank you, Father, for the freedom to come and worship together. And as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you'd open our hearts to receive it. We pray the Holy Spirit might be free to move among us this morning and to uh, teach us from your word. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Give us, teach us the truths that we need uh, to help us in our daily lives, to equip us to be better servants for the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Father, if there should be anyone here today who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, it would be a great day for them to do it. We pray that you'd speak to their hearts as well. Call them to yourself. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read Philippians chapter 4. I want to read just a few verses, starting in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's some, there's some very encouraging words in there, aren't there? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what happens. We as Christians can always rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, again, I say rejoice. This is important. Do it. Rejoice always. And then he says things like, don't be careful for things. In other words, don't worry about things. Just trust the Lord for them. In everything, by prayer and thanksgiving, everything that touches us, we can be thankful for it. And we can pray about it, and we can look for the Lord's leading in it. And then he says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds. The peace of God. The world we live in doesn't offer a lot of peace. The, um, the jobs that some of us go to, they don't offer a lot of peace. The courtroom I was in for the last couple of weeks you know, on the jury trial, was not, it didn't offer a lot of peace. But the Lord does. The peace of God will reign in our hearts. So these are very encouraging words. They're uplifting words. And the most encouraging words that I see here at the end of verse 5, five little words, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. I think that can can have a couple, at least a couple of possible meanings. One is He's near in location. And we know that, don't we? That the Lord Jesus is always close to us. He's God. And God is always near us. He's omnipotent. Not omnipotent. He's omnipresent. Right? He is in all places at all times. But we know that Jesus is always close to us. We know that He hears us when, he, when we pray. And we as Christians know that He acts on our behalf. Because every one of us here who is a Christian can, can attest to the fact that the Lord has answered prayers on our behalf in days past. And He's continuing to do that. He gives us the things that we need. I, I'm I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that none of us showed up hungry today. The Lord provides food for us. We have clothing to wear. We have houses to live in. We are, we are a very blessed people. And so the Lord is at hand. He's near in location. But a second way we can look at that is He's near in time. And that's the one we need to, to think about as Christians. He's near in time. Because the, the, the Jesus return, we know the Scriptures teaches He's coming back to get us. And that time is getting closer. It's closer now than it was 38 years ago when the church was founded. It's closer now uh, than it was when the, the book, much closer than it was when these words were written by the Apostle uh, Paul, wasn't, isn't it? And it's getting closer day by day by day. And those are good words for us. Now either one, either way we look at this, it's good news for Christians, isn't it? Whether he's near to us in, uh, in location or he's near to us in time, it doesn't... 
Both of those are good news. The Lord is near. His, he is at hand. So I want us to look at this morning as Christians some of the things that we ought to be doing with this knowledge. The knowledge that the Lord is at hand. There are certain things that we ought to be doing. The first one, if you want to turn here, I'm going to be looking at several passages and I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Some of them I'll just read. Others I'll ask you if you want to turn to. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 10 and read just a few verses. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. First thing then we look at as, as knowing, as Christians, knowing that the Lord is at hand, we ought to be diligent. That's what Paul is, or Peter actually is writing here. We ought to be diligent. Everything around us, he's, he's writing in these verses, everything around us is temporary, isn't it? He talked about how the, there's going to come a day when this earth is going to be destroyed. The Lord's going to destroy it. He's going to make a new earth. But everything we look at, everything that we might put uh, a lot of importance on, it's going to go away anyway. We're looking for the Lord to come back because that's, that's the, the ultimate for us. So the heavens, the earth, all our possessions... They're all going to go away. All our money is going to go away. We won't take any of it with us. And all of our problems, they're going to go away too. All of our pains, they're going to go away. All of the things that we look at in this world and say either that's really good or that's really bad, they're all going to go away. We're going to go be with the Lord. He's coming. He's at hand. He will, God is eventually going to judge this sinful world, and so we're looking for something a lot better. Now, we know that Scripture teaches us there's not a known schedule for when the Lord's going to come back. We don't... We know that much. It could be any time. Verse 10 even says it's coming as a thief in, in the night. You don't, you never know when a thief is going to break into your house, do you? That's, that's a surprise. We hope that's a surprise to anyone. If, it, if you knew when they were coming, it wouldn't be a surprise at all, would it? So we don't know when he's coming. So what Peter is saying, so because of that, in light of that, always be ready. Be diligent. So that when he comes, you'll be ready. And that word diligent, it's, it, it literally means something like this, to use speed to uh, expend effort, to make an effort, to be earnest, to endeavor, to be ready for Him when He comes. He says, do it quickly. Get ready now. Don't put it off. Always be ready for Him to come. So the goal we see there in verse 14 is that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. When the Lord comes back, we don't want to, to be blameless, or we don't want to be blameful, do we? We want to be blameless. And that term means not blemished by sinful behavior. What a sad thing it would be for the Lord to come back and we be engaged in some kind of sinful behavior, some kind of wrongdoing or, or anything that, that would dishonor Him. So Peter is saying we ought to be diligent knowing that the Lord's coming back. Second thing we ought to be, knowing that the Lord is at hand, we ought to be prayerful. And I want to read a few verses in, in Mark. You don't have to turn here. Uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 32 says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. 
No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. God the Father is the only one who knows when Christ is going to return. And he says, take, take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. Again, it's reiterating that. We don't know when he's coming back. So we need to, to watch and pray. That's what Matthew's telling us. Or, I'm sorry, that's what Mark is telling us. Well, what is it that we watch and we pray for? What is it? Well, uh, if we look in Matthew uh, chapter 26, we read this. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be watching. We ought to be watching and praying that we not or that we wouldn't be entered, uh, entered or led down a road or a path to temptation, to sin. It's all around us, isn't it? We should be praying that the Lord would give us deliverance from sin and deliverance from the temptation that might trip us up. We ought to be praying that we'll be godly examples, shouldn't we, to other people. As Christians, that that should always be our goal, that we would be godly examples. We ought to be praying that we could help win lost people to Christ. Always. We ought to be doing that. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The, the, The truth of Scripture says time is short. We don't know, the, the, the trouble with us is we don't know just how short it is. So we always need to be diligent. We need to be prayerful. We need to pray according to the way Paul told it to the, the, the folks in Thessalonica. We need to pray without ceasing. That's what he's laid on us. And, and the Holy Spirit can give us that burden. And if we don't have that burden, we ought to be asking him that he would give it to us, shouldn't we? Lord, give us, give us that burden. And we would pray for people who are lost. And we pray for the people around us. So we ought to be diligent, knowing that the Lord is at hand. We ought to be prayerful. A third thing we ought to be is patient. That one comes a little harder, doesn't it, for most of us. I've, I've had two grandkids at the house for the last couple of days. They know nothing about patience. Whatever they want, they want it right then. And then I look at me sometimes, and I think, I, I can't complain a lot. A lot of times I'm the same way. I want things right now. James in chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 7, he says this, and you don't have to turn here. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. And then he ends with this, For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He's reiterating this. The Lord is at hand. So he says, Be patient. He gives the illustration of a farmer. I grew up on a farm, so this one touches me, my life personally. A farmer, he'll, in the, the way we did it when I was growing up, when I was a kid, in the fall we'd plow the fields. And then we'd let the, the ground sit there and it'd be a freeze-thaw cycle and it'd break up the clots and everything. In the summer we'd run a hair through it. We'd get that land, uh, it just get smooth, the, the soil would break up, it made a great seed bed. And then we'd come along, we'd make up rows for some things. Some things we would just sow it with a, with a corn planter uh, or a, a planter. It might be beans, it might be corn, it might be other things. Then we'd fertilize it, we'd cultivate it, we'd pull weeds out of it. And then what happens after that? If you've ever grown a garden, what do you do after that? You wait. Because there's nothing you can do to make the seeds and the plants grow any faster. If you pull out a farmer's almanac, you pull out a bloom's almanac, it's going to have a table in there usually. And it says if you plant beets, this many days later you will have a crop of beets. If you plant tomatoes, this many days later you're going to have them. And the one that just really breaks your heart is when you look and say, if you plant watermelons, it's going to take this long before you ever see your first watermelon. And that one just breaks your heart, doesn't it? 
Some things you can get fruit. You can get things if you want bean sprouts. That a few days, you're good. If you want a good one, them watermelons, you got to wait a long time for it. Yeah. But that, what he's saying is, a farmer does that. Whatever the crop is, he knows it's going to take time, and he waits patiently. Now, what he's what he's really talking about that, that hits us. It's a model for the Christian life as well, isn't it? Because as Christians. We prepare our hearts just like a farmer prepares a field for the crop. We, we prepare our hearts. We listen to the preaching of the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We try our best to memorize portions of it. We sing the Word of God in the hymns of the faith. And so we, we prepare our hearts, and then when the, the weeds of sin come along, we try to pluck those up by the roots as best we can. As, just like a farmer cultivates his field to get the weeds out. We try to do that as well, don't we? And then what do we do? What is he saying here? We wait because the Lord is nigh. He's returning. He's coming back. Now some of us may see death before we see the Lord's return. But even then, the Apostle Paul said to be absent from this body as a Christian is to be immediately present with the Lord. So that's what we're waiting for. And we can't speed it up. We can't make it any faster. He's going to come when He comes, but we're being told prepare, be diligent, be prayerful, and then be patient. And he finishes up with a reiteration of what we started with. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It's getting closer. Now there's a fourth thing that we ought to be as as Christians who know that the Lord is at hand. We ought to be pure. Now, as we were singing this morning, we we sang three hymns and at least two of them talked about the purity of the Lord. I noticed that this morning as we were singing. If you will, turn to 1 John. Chapter 1, it's over, only a couple of pages over from where you, you are, probably, from earlier. 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses read like this. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, that is, even as the Lord Jesus, is pure. We're told here that God demonstrated his love to us by making making us his children. Okay? We don't yet know what we're going to be like. That's what these verses are telling us. In eternity, I don't know what our our glorified bodies might look like. I assume we'll, we'll have some likeness to what we are now because we'll recognize ourselves in heaven. But it does say we'll be like Him when He comes because we'll see Him as He is. And at that point, we won't have a sin nature anymore to mar what is here. Some of us have scars because we did really bad things or really dumb things. Now maybe those scars will still be there for us reminders, but we won't do those dumb things anymore, will we? We won't do sinful things anymore because we won't have to worry about that sin nature. It says here that everyone who has this hope that Jesus is coming back purifies himself. The term it simply means to make clean. He makes himself clean from sin. We try to keep sin out of our lives even like Jesus is pure. Now I'm going to make a statement. And I've got a feeling everyone here will agree with this statement. But I'm going to say it anyway because it needs to be said. We will never live sinless lives in this, in this life. Does anyone who disagrees with that? We, we can try as we might, but we're never going to live sinless lives because we have sin natures. 
and we are tempted. But that's the goal, isn't it? Isn't the goal that as Christians we would live a sinless life? So, and, and why do we do it? Because we want to please our Lord. Because we love Him. I'll make another statement. We will never hit that target of a, pure, of a truly pure life. But isn't that what we aim at? I like... Uh, I'm a firearm guy. I like to go target practicing every, while, every now and then. And I know that I can aim a rifle or a pistol at some targets, and I'm thinking, I'm probably not going to hit that target. I'm not going to hit that center ring. But it's what I aim at. And I'll try more and more to get closer and closer to it. Hopefully, the more I shoot, the closer I get to it. If I'm getting farther away every time I pull the trigger, well, that's a serious problem. It's also a problem for Christians. If every day we are trying our best to keep sin out of our lives because we love the Lord, and we keep getting more and more sin in our lives, we got a serious problem at that point, don't we? We should see improvement. Even though we never quite hit that goal, it is what we talk, we aim at. So we ought to be pure. And again, why do we do it? Is it so God will heap blessings on us? No. It's because we love the Lord, and we want to be people who are pure like He is. Okay? So we're talking about the Lord is at hand. So we've already seen that we ought to be diligent, we ought to be prayerful, we ought to be patient, we ought to be pure. Another thing we ought to be is watchful. So if you want to turn to this one, it's Mark chapter 13. We'll look at a few verses there. I'm trying not to make this a marathon uh, thing of turning from one passage to another. I'll try to keep that to a limit that as much as possible. That can get tedious sometimes. Mark chapter 13, though, look in verse 34. It says, The Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter, the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at cock crowing, or in the morning lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So we ought to be watchful. The example that that, uh, Mark gives us here is of a man who who left, he had servants. In our case it might be uh, a plant manager who has employees or a department manager who has employees. He needs to leave for a while. He left them with instructions of what they should do while he's gone. And they don't have any idea of when he might be coming back. So they've got to be on, on watch. They've been being, every day they need to be going through the tasks, doing, going through the things that he's left them to do. And so Mark is saying we ought to do the same thing. We need to be watchful because the Lord has left, and as Christians, he's left things for us to do. We need to be obedient to the Word of God. We need to be studying the Word of God. We need to be reading it. We need to be uh, incorporating it into our lives. We need to be witnessing to other people. And so he says... We need to be watchful to be sure that we're doing that. We need to be faithful. We need to be vigilant. And we need to be ready for whenever He comes back because we don't know when that's going to be. Again, it's, it's, it, this is reiterating this. We know the Lord is at hand. We know He's coming back. We just don't know when. So it's in, in, uh, imperative that we as Christians be ready for it when He does come back. Another thing that we ought to be, knowing that the Lord is at hand, is we ought to be hopeful. You agree with that, right? We all, as Christians, we ought to be the most hopeful people around. Titus, in chapter 2, you don't have to turn here, verse, starting verse 11, it says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So what he's saying here, God's grace teaches us that we ought to deny some things in our lives. We, we ought to deny ungodliness, wickedness. We should. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? As Christians, we need to be putting sin as far away as we can from us. And the Bible says if we resist, resist the devil, he'll flee from us. We don't have to obey sin. We did at one time before we were saved. We, when we only had a lost, sinful nature, we had to obey that nature. Now we have a new nature. He's given us a new one. The old one is still there in the two battle. But we don't have to obey sin anymore. And so he says we need to deny ungodliness. He also says we need to <clears throat> deny worldly lusts. Now we tend, in our society, we tend to think of lust in a sexual connotation, but that, that's, this word is not limited to that. When it refers to ungodly lust, it's referring to longings after anything that is forbidden to us. You can lust after a new car. And if the Lord doesn't want you to have that new car, if He wants you to spend that money on something else, then that would be wrong for you. Uh, if, if we know that we have a problem, for example, as, as some here who have a problem with diabetes, you might look longingly at that beautiful eight-layer chocolate cake, but to you that might be a forbidden uh, thing to partake of, right? Because it's dangerous for you. Not because the Lord doesn't want you to enjoy chocolate. He just doesn't want you to hurt yourself as a Christian. So he's looking at all of these things, all of these things that are forbidden to us. Now, I'm being a little lighthearted there, but there are sins in this world that the Lord says stay away from. Um, Idolatry, covetousness, certainly uh, adulterous thoughts or actions. All of these things come together, but it can be anything that is... That is a forbidden thing for a Christian. We need to stay away from those. So we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. But then he says that we should live soberly. We ought to take things seriously as Christians, shouldn't we? And we certainly should not laugh at sin. Uh, there's an entire entertainment industry in America that wants us to laugh at sin. It started many, many years ago. The first time there was a TV show that showed homosexual behavior in a comical setting, someone realized if you can get people to laugh at something, then they'll start to accept it. And they had us laughing at um, adulterous relationships. They have us laughing at thievery or any number of other sins, drug abuse perhaps, or, or whatever it might be. We need to be sober about those things because sin is an affront against the holy God. And we can't be laughing at that. We can't take that lightly. We need to live soberly. He says we need to live righteously. We do need to drive sin out of our lives as Christians. And we need to live godly. Well, that's a, That takes it all to a completely higher plane, doesn't it? That's back to we need to be pure the way Jesus is pure because that's why He's left us here. He's left us here to live this way as an example to people around us. And then He, in, he ends, or he, or he comes around to encouraging us as we do this, as we live this way, He encourages us to look for that blessed hope. And what is that blessed hope? Again, it's the return of our Lord. The Lord is at hand. He's get, that time is getting closer and closer. And for we who are Christians, that is a blessed hope. Something that we look forward to.
Another thing we ought to do as Christians, we ought to be ready. Matthew uh, chapter 24 and verse 44, he says, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. There's that same idea that's being repeated over and over again. The Lord is coming, and we don't know when. So he says, be ready for it. In other words, be prepared so that when the Lord comes, there's nothing that hinders us. There's nothing that makes us say, oh, I wish you'd have waited a few days. If you'd only give me another week, Lord, before you came back. We don't want to be found in that predicament, do we? We ought to be anticipating our departure. Every day we ought to get up that way. I haven't been at work for two days because of, or for two weeks because, like I said, I was in, in a court trial. I dread so bad getting up tomorrow and having to go to work because I had. I, there's, I, told, I was telling Robin here, I, I, the last time I glanced, there was somewhere north of 100 emails that I haven't opened yet. And there's a lot of things that are going to be waiting for me. And so tomorrow morning, I'll be, I'm going to be tempted to get up and say, oh, no, it's Monday. But as Christians, we ought to be, we ought to be able to get up every morning anticipating this could be the day the Lord comes back. And I want to be ready for that. We should be even here this morning anticipating the Lord could come back before we even have a chance to end this service and go over there and eat lunch. Now, some of us are thinking, could you just wait till after lunch because there's some good stuff over there. I've already seen it, right? But we ought to be living in anticipating our departure. Nothing should be in our life that we would be ashamed of if He came. None of us wants the Lord to come back and call us in the air if we're involved in something at that point that is sinful, do we? We would never want that to happen. And there shouldn't be any anchors that are holding us back. Can you imagine? The Lord comes back and He calls us up to be in the air and we're reaching down here, but, 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 but Lord, I don't want to leave that. Can I bring it? Can I bring this person? Can I bring this thing? This, this thing that I'm so attached to. We shouldn't be living that way, should we? We should be ready for when the Lord comes. And there shouldn't be anybody that we would regret that we didn't share the Gospel with when the Lord comes back. Wouldn't that be bad? It'd be one thing to say, well, Lord, I wish you could have waited until after lunch. But wouldn't it be terrible to say, Lord, I, if I'd have had just another day, I could have witnessed to somebody else. I could have shared. Especially if it's someone the Lord has put on your heart to talk to and we just haven't done it. We don't want that to be the case. Do we? we want to be ready. We want to be anxious to meet our Lord when He comes. Now, I want you to remember. Remember the verse I read. Matthew 24, 44. We remember who Matthew was, don't we? Before he was a, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he was a tax collector for the Roman government. I can't help but wonder if Matthew in the back of his mind was remembering those days when he, had, he probably had no idea when a Roman governor was going to come by and say, let me see your books, Matthew. You're supposed to have been collecting taxes. How have you been doing? Are you up to date? Have you been collecting what you were supposed to? I can't help but wonder if Matthew was thinking about that and thinking... We need to be ready. All As I was collecting those taxes, I always had to be ready. Because I, I had no idea what somebody was going to come audit my books. And he said, he's saying that to fellow Christians. We always need to be ready because we don't know when the Lord's coming back. So we ought to be ready. A final thing that we ought to be as, uh, as Christians, if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, First Thessalonians chapter 4, we ought to be comforted. We'll start reading in verse 16. It says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We ought to be comforted as Christians because Jesus is coming back. He is coming just like He left. He'll be coming as a bridegroom, coming to take His bride home to be with Him. It's going to be a joyful time. Nothing will stop Him from coming back. Nothing can stop Him. He is the Son of Almighty God, the second person of the Trinity. Nothing can stop His return. Nothing remains undone before He can come back. There is no prophecy in Scripture that, that we can look at and say, well, He can't come back until that happens. Everything that Scripture says would happen before the Lord could come back has already happened. Why is He holding? I don't know. Many say that uh, it's because of the long-suffering, the patience of the Lord. He's waiting for that last person to be saved. And once that happens, the Lord will come back. We don't know for sure. But we know that there's nothing that's that has to happen before he can come back. Only God's timing is delaying that return right now. It is imminent. The Lord is at hand. And when he does, all Christians are going to go with him. Everyone who's put their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to go with him. And he says here that the ones who have already died, their bodies are going to be raised up. Their spirits are going to be reunited with them. They're going to rise first. And then those of us who are alive when he, when he comes will we'll go up. We'll rise to meet them. And we'll be reunited with them. What could be more comforting than that? There is no trial, there's no trouble that we might be going through in this, in this world that can compare with the comfort of knowing the Lord is returning and He's going to come and get us. No pain that we might go through can overwhelm that comfort, can it? We might go through some terrible things, but the comfort of knowing that the Lord's coming back for us ought to overwhelm all of it. So remember where we started? Philippians 4, the last part of verse 5, those five words... The Lord is at hand. He's close. He's closer than He's ever been. If we get a firm grip on that single truth, I don't think anything can overcome our faith. Not a thing. If we are fully grounded in the fact the Lord is coming back for us, our faith is not going to be stymied by anything this world can throw at us. God's peace will rule in our hearts. And we will be moved to recognize that we ought to be diligent and we ought to be prayerful and we ought to be patient and we ought to be pure, and we ought to be watchful, we ought to be hopeful, we ought to be ready, and we ought to be comforted. If we get firm grip on that fact that the Lord is at hand. Today, this church, you're celebrating homecoming, 38 years. As Christians today, we're celebrating something a whole lot better than homecoming. We're celebrating homegoing, and we know that it's going to happen because the Lord's coming to get us. And we'll, it won't just be this group. It'll be all of believers, all of our friends, family members that have already gone. Why do we know that? Because the Lord is at hand. Scripture teaches us that in several places. Now this morning, if, you've, if you're here and you haven't ever trusted Christ as Savior, I don't know anyone's heart. But knowing, knowing that the Lord is at hand, if you've never trusted Christ, that might not be so comforting. That could be a worrisome thing. And so I would ask you, if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted Christ, just know this, He's waiting to save you. Romans 3, uh, or Romans 10, verse 13 says, Whosoever, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's ready to save today anyone who's never trusted Him as their Savior. And I would encourage you to do that today. If there's any number of people here today that would be willing to talk to you, uh, myself included, if you, if you want to be saved here today, 
There's no need to dread Christ's return. We ought to all be able to look forward to that with, uh, with uh, great anticipation. Let's pray again. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for allowing us to look into it. We thank You for the fact that the return of our Lord is at hand. We don't know exactly when it will be, but we do know that it is much closer than it's ever been before. And so I pray, Lord, that You might help us to be anxiously looking forward to that time when we will see our Lord, when we will forever be with Him, when we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We look forward to that, Father, but we recognize there could be someone here this morning who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, and we pray this might be the day when they would do that. And they would simply bow their heads and when they would uh, call upon You to save them, to forgive their sins, and to allow them to be born into the family of God. We look forward to that as well. We commit them to You, Lord. As we go uh, into the meal today, we pray that You'd uh, bless and let that uh, be a good time of fellowship for us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.